Welcome to the Flicks and Scoops podcast, backed by Unpopular Demand. I'm your host, Ash, and glad to be welcoming you into my selfish little pit filled with films and ice cream. For those unfamiliar with the premise, I invite a guest on to pick a film, and then I make a film-inspired ice cream for us to gnaw on as we discuss their film choice. We've got a reel of cracking episodes coming up for you, but to kick things back off again today, we've got Ben Knight, who was brilliant. I got linked up with Ben through a previous guest of mine, Basti. He mentioned Ben was making a film and that he'd be a great guest and he couldn't have been more right. Ben wanted to do Herzog's Grizzly Man, so obviously I snapped his hand off at the offer. Other than it being a great documentary, it was really nice to hear how films have had an influence on people and you'll hear all about it when Ben gets into talking about his film. For this one, I made a Lupin and Iris ice cream, the explanation behind it coming up in this episode, and you can find the recipe for that on flicksandscoops.com. Now, Grizzly Man is the 2005 documentary from Werner Herzog about Timothy Treadwell, who was a bear activist. Most of the film is made up from footage that Treadwell shot himself before he and his girlfriend were tragically killed by the bears. Mandatory spoiler warning, if you're yet to see Grizzly Man, then I think you'll get a lot more out of this episode if you watch it first. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or I'll get a penny bouncer to slap you with a house for a boat. One last thing before we get going. Thanks to a very ardent listener who constantly tells me that the podcast isn't zany enough, I'm introducing a new segment called Zany Miscellany, in which I give you some miscellaneous information about the actor Billy Zane. So Zany Miscellany... Zane is a swimming enthusiast and has been shaving his head since 1997 for aerodynamics. If you'd like to submit some Zane-based trivia, you can DM me on any social channel at Flicks and Scoops or write in to contact at flicksandscoops.com. That's it for the bullshit now. Off we trot with Flicks and Scoops, episode 14. Now it's time for ice cream. All right, Flicks and Scoops, pleased to be introducing the first journalist we've had on the show. You may have seen him featured in places like The Guardian, Deutsche Welle, Vice, Ex-Berliner, and now, at the pinnacle of his career, the one and only Flicks and Scoops, please welcome Mr. Ben Knight. Woo! Oh, that is a lovely intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> welcome, welcome. How are you doing? I'm great, yeah. I'm really excited to be here. I can't think of anything more exciting than talking about films and eating an ice cream based on that film that's like a based on your my favorite film that is um what a privilege that is <laughs> correct answer <laughs> <laughs> um so for those berlin listeners uh, they're probably most familiar with your ex-berliner entries as well as the podcast that you co-host megan's megacan which is a weekly rundown of the german political news in english thankfully I was curious, though, as to why your nom de plume is Conrad Werner. You know, in like witness protection or some shit. Are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not. Luckily, I'm not being. I'm not the subject of an investigation. <laughs> no, um, it is because when I first started working at uh, the Explainer, I started writing a column. It's my nom de plume for the Explainer column, and um, the the guy who was writing the column before me was a German and the kind of the idea of the column was to be a German explaining the news to English people mm. or English speak Anglophone people and um and for the first few columns that I wrote this is I, mean, I started writing the explainer column in like 2005 it's really a long time ago and um and the guy who was before me was an actual German, whereas I'm just a half German. And um, yeah, we just sort of decided, and for the first few of them, I kind of pretended to be a German explaining the news. And then I, I sort of dropped that, but I kept the name. So the idea was to have a German name. And um, and I chose the name Conrad because it's cool. And Werner because it is my middle name. Uh. And um, coincidentally the name of our, my brother and I, Sebastian, it's also Sebastian's middle name, who you've already just had on the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mention that, but he's also called Werner. And um, and it's also 
the name of Werner Herzog, but that's not what I called him. But it's a, <laughs> kind of a we can dream, right? We can dream, yeah. <laughs> uh, and mostly writings politically driven. Uh, what is it that attracts you to politics in particular? Oh, no, nothing really. I mean, I find it's just easy. I find it just easy to write about. It's just like a big soap opera that keeps going on, and there's always something else, and there's always some other person or character there's always just something you know it's not really i don't really have a I, I was never particularly political until i started writing about politics and now i have more opinions it's kind of a challenge actually just to keep coming up with opinions and things to <laughs> things that you really think about some random thing i don't feel particularly I've become more political or politically interested since starting to write the column. But when I started doing journalism, I was writing like features about stuff, like stuff that happened to me that I did, you know, like, yeah. like weird stuff. More, you know, like I, I can't remember. I, I, I specialized in doing um, um, like self experiments and doing first person things when I first started, the things I did for Vice were like I pretend, I pretended to be I became a Scientologist for a day. Okay. Um I did a I did a, a colonic irrigation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, there's like that kind of new age thing where you're supposed to clean out your colon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this lady comes and puts a tube of water up your bum. I did that. And I wrote stories about that. I went to and I, I did a long thing about animal like I investigated some zoophiles, like people who like to like you know do it with animals and, wow. <laughs> and i went to an animal sex party at one point and that was kind of like that was like my early years any bears involved no that was quite dangerous <laughs> <laughs> well um i ask purely because ben chose a grizzly man by the inimitable Werner herzog yeah. uh, and so for this film i went for a lupine and iris ice cream yeah because um in the scene when they scatter his ashes scatter treadwell's ashes there's a few other things in the pot including uh lupin and iris which i hope doesn't put you off eating it <laughs> how's it going well, it's down? kind of a i just put it <laughs> um uh yeah i'm halfway through it it's an amazing it's a very interesting ice cream it's very um i like it. it's got a kind of beige tone and the and they're basically two flowers that are the flavors, right? Yeah. Um, but they're not overpowering flavors. It's quite subtle. I quite like that. Yeah, I think it possibly would have worked better as a gelato because there's less cream in it. Um, but the base itself is from milk, actually, from the lupin bean. Okay. And then the iris comes from a tea almost. So much mm. like ginger, you can get iris root which you then stew, right? which I stewed in the milk and then uh, made it that way. Okay. But it has, it, it's got a floral taste, but almost like a bitter taste a little yeah, bit as well. Yeah, it's, right? it's definitely like, a, are you going to, are you going to start producing it commercially? <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> so I mentioned uh, Herzog already. Is he an idol of yours? Sort of. I am, like, I have started to, I, I have now made a film and I think if you are a filmmaker or want to be a filmmaker or are trying to be a filmmaker, then it's impossible not to be inspired by Werner Herzog just because of what the just the way he kind of just goes about his business. Because he's the one like I I, I suddenly like about three years ago, I suddenly realized actually it is just possible to make a film. And I think if Werner Herzog, he kind of, he's just this intrepid adventurer who says, if you want to make a film, just go out and make a film. The only way, as he puts it, the only way to stop smoking is to stop smoking. Like, you have to just go out and do it. And I think that he, um, just his, his general attitude to filmmaking and of, like, navigating the complications and the obstacles and the burdens and the bureaucracy and the expense of it and the way he just sort of charges ahead and and churns them out you know he makes so many of them and i think that it's a kind of impossible as if you 
if you want to be a filmmaker, not to be kind of inspired by him in some way. And, and yeah, specifically for me, I think I had this sort of a period when I, I kind of approached him through his documentaries. Like I knew his old, you know, the classics, the Fitzcarraldo and mm. Aguirre, Wrath of God. And I, and I, I was kind of aware of those films. I might have seen them 20 years ago, but I hadn't really, they didn't, I didn't really connect with them in any way, any amazing way. But when I, when I started making a documentary, I thought I better watch a few documentaries. And I started watching his, and then I really connected with them because I really thought they're not just documentaries, you know? There's something that they're kind of, they, each one is about something. Like each one is very clearly like formally a documentary, and then they all try and transcend to some other level. They all try and find a deeper truth. And, or that sounds like a really pathetic way of putting it, but they always like, they, they, all, they always try and do something more, you know? Striving for something bigger. Yeah, yeah he yeah. wants to like, yeah. So I kind of did have a period when I was a bit obsessed with his documentaries and I watched nearly all of them. And to be honest, I could have picked any, any of them for this, but Grizzly Man is kind of the best one. It's the most accessible one. And it is it probably his most well-known documentary. And it fits really well into his famous films. Like it fits really well into his, like what you think about Werner Herzog's films. Well, I was reading the website for your film and I noticed that you there was a snippet on there from The Peregrine, the yeah. J.A. Baker. Was that from Herzog as well? Yeah, it's a, um, he, he has like this, he has this sort of rogue film school thing where he recommends you read these three texts and he's, he said, like, you don't have to read anything else, but you've got to read this, like a random short story by Ernest Hemingway and a and Virgil's Georgics, which I haven't been bothered to read because it's all about farming, but basically it's a book about farming from ancient Rome. Okay. And The Peregrine is this book from the 60s where a, a it's all in Essex. I think it's in Essex. It's in one of the home counties. And he was an extremely unknown writer. He was a librarian, I think. He basically he didn't do anything else. He just wrote this one book, and he had like a lot of, and he had like uh, little jobs, and he was like very much a recluse. And the Peregrine is a diary, ostensibly, where he spends a whole winter watching a peregrine falcon. He's a bird watcher. It's a bird watching diary of deep observation of the landscape. Right. And of the animals in the landscape. And he makes this sort of very banal countryside somewhere in England into this into this richness. It gives it this richness of like really intense nature writing. It's famous amongst nature writing, but it's not famous outside. I that. don't I obviously don't move in the right crowds. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. Well, as I just sort of mentioned, you uh, you've become a filmmaker yourself now. You made the very cheerily titled we're all gonna die. <laughs> what's uh, what's that project about? It's basically about me dealing with my existential angst, my fear of the end of the world. It's, it's me, and I do this by meeting people. It's also a documentary where I meet a, a variety of different people who are facing the fear of change, of deep structural change in society and in the ecology and is it a long-held fear that you've had or is it something quite recent i think no it's um happened in the last few years i mean it's a it's a thing that's this kind of close this sense of a crisis closing in all from all sides um particularly through climate change but also just through you know the rise of fascism the kind of breakdown of the way we speak to each other, you know, on social media, you know, like the, a breakdown of a general agreement about things. So I meet people who all are all dealing with this in a more conscious way. They're all like trying to face that fear and work out how they how they want to deal with it. It looks like you did a quite a good bit of globe trotting. You're in America, right? And Norway was it? We drove all the way across America and we went to Norway. Wouldn't go anywhere else. Didn't have as much, enough money. <laughs> was it self-funded, or did you manage to get some producers on board? No, I did it totally Herzog style. Just funded it myself, saved a bit of money, 
Um, I was very lucky. I did have, I should mention, like, had some brilliant collaborators who worked for no money. Like the cameramen have not been paid. And they they were brilliant. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. They're like friends of mine. And the editor, she was amazing. And she put the film together. I mean, that was the that was the most daunting thing is when you you kind of come home from a big trip and you've got like all this hours of filming these interviews that you've done. Like I've done interviews before, that's not hard, but then coming home and then just being sitting there with like 30 hours of video material. And you're like, shit, what am I going to do with that? And do you have a release date penned for it yet? Um, well, as soon as we've got it going to be out and, you know, I want to... No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I... We've been submitting it to different festivals. We're waiting to hear back from it. We're just working on it now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's not like it's coming out in the cinema soon. No one can go to the cinema anyway. This is so, it, isn't it? Well, hopefully it does come out of the cinema. Maybe I could be the official sponsor. I could be like one of these old school, yeah. <laughs> old school uh, ice cream vendors. You know, they just go gobbing off in the cinema with the big tray around the, the neck. Tray, yeah. yeah, that'd be good. And a little paper hat. <laughs> yeah, you, I would be. I would love that. <laughs> um, it was an interesting answer for me that you gave because I read an interview that you did with Terry Jones. Um, oh my god! Where you really? Met... <laughs> oh god! <laughs> didn't even know that I was still on the internet <laughs> well I found it somehow but you mentioned you're a big Monty Python fan in particular well I did because I was interviewing him oh okay no I was but right, obviously <laughs> every every just stroking his ego yeah. is a Monty Python fan um, <laughs> but yeah well this is it yeah. me too and you mentioned Meaning Alive specifically and that's my favourite Python film but when I was reading about your film uh, it sounds very dread ridden but mm. then when i saw this interview and you said you're a big python fan and all this i was curious as to whether you were coming at it from more of a absurdist perspective of just not trying to search for reason but just embracing the craziness yeah i mean that is the kind of that is the, the lesson that is the meaning of life isn't it that is that you got you got to embrace the craziness you got to embrace the the the, the, the trauma and chaos um and we'll get onto this with um uh, with Grizzly Man too, but yeah, I think I, I, I mean, my film is like a bit funny. Yeah, try and keep it light. That's the hard part with talking about how we're all going to die is keeping it light. I must stay incognito. I must hide from the authorities. I must hide from people who would harm me. I must now even hide from people that seek me out because I've made some sort of. Um, I don't want to say celebrity, but. Um, they come here to Alaska and they hear about Treadwell in the bush and they want to go find him. But they can't. I'm hidden down below. No one knows where I am. Even I don't even know where I am. So, Ben, are you a flicker or a scooper? Is this a, like a, a masturbation question? Is this a, 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 like a, a, a euphemism? Whether fortunately or unfortunately for you, no. <laughs> okay. I... Are you asking me if I prefer films or ice cream? I am indeed. Yeah, I prefer films. I'm okay. sorry, as an ice cream. No, no, I prefer <laughs> films too. I mean, it's apples and oranges, really, isn't it? And when you do eat ice cream, do you prefer it in a cup or a cone? Cone. But why? <laughs> I like the mixture of crunchy and smooth. Mmm, texture. Like, yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. I like that. I like. Um, I mean, I, I love a cornetto. Really? A, yeah. Over a shop, but you take a cornetto over like a ice cream store ice cream. Well, it depends. Probably, yeah. I mean, I would like. Uh, I kind of like the kind of crunchy bits on the top of the cornetto, and then you go inside. Like, I like that. And you can take it home to watch with the film. Yeah, they're very convenient. They're very portable. Right, right. <laughs> Then if you do go to an ice cream shop, if you've got one flavour to choose, what's your what's your go-to flavour? If I was at like a, at a, like a, a gelato place in Italy mm -hmm. and I only had one scoop, I only had enough money for one scoop. Yeah. Walnut. A walnut? Walnut's a bit more bitter, I would say, rather than sweet. Walnut sounded like a bit fancier. <laughs> right. Like it's got like maple on it or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Walnut sounds a bit fancier, but I do really like hazelnut too. So is ice cream usually your snack of choice at the cinema? 
No, I always have popcorn. Oh no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan of uh, noisy noisy food in the cinema. That's why yeah. I eat ice cream because it's. I can understand that. And um, at the Berlinale, when they have the Berlinale, um, they never sell popcorn. They always take it away from all the because I think partly for hygiene reasons as well because they have to there's like constantly screenings and that. but I and yeah it is annoying when someone is eating it's weird that they sell popcorn in cinemas because it's the one place where you want people to be quiet but yeah it's a weird thing do you go to the Berlinale when it's on I used to write a Berlinale blog for Explainer. Ah, right, okay. I used to have a, a, for nine years in a row, I went as a journalist to the Berlinale and um, I used it, I have to admit, I, for the last three or four years, I used it as more of a kind of holiday. Yeah. They're not listening, but <laughs> I was just a, I, I, I did still write articles, but it was just such so much fun to watch loads of movies and you'd watch them for free because I had a press pass. Yeah, that. this is so, it. It's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Although, a lot of the films of the Berlinale are not good. I think, in terms of a festival, I quite like it. In, yeah, in, the in the way that's, nice. yeah, the atmosphere, the way that it's organised, I think it's it's done pretty well. But compared to all the other big hitters, they do seem to have a weaker um, programme of films. Yeah, well, it's much smaller. Like Cannes only has about 100, 110 films, whereas the Berlinale has about 450 films. Mm. And... Yeah, they're a lot less choosy like, than the Cannes Film Festival is or Venice. Like of the three big film festivals, it's the it's the least choosy one. But it's also the one that's most accessible for audiences. It's the one where the whole city goes to, you know, like people, like real people, normal people actually go to the Berlinale, yeah. <laughs> which is what's so great about it. It's much more democratic. And if it's not the Berlinale, do you go to the cinema often? Yeah, when the cinemas are open, I would go at least once a week, probably. All those eons ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I just watch Netflix at home. But I got a big screen, got a beamer. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah. Treat treat yourself for the lockdown. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Perfection belonged to the bears, but once in a while, Treadwell came face to face with the harsh reality of wild nature. This did not fit into his sentimentalized view that everything out there was good and the universe in balance and in harmony. Why did you pick Grizzly Man? Right, okay. I picked Grizzly Man because I think it is, A, Werner Herzog's most well-known documentary. B, I think it's really, it's got a really good, like a straight story that you can follow. He almost tricks you into thinking it's a normal documentary. And then every now and then, he gives you these like moments of a, a sort of transcendence. It's the closest that he's ever done. Well, he hasn't, it's not quite the closest he's ever done, but it's almost the closest he's ever done to a true crime documentary, which I, is a genre that I kind of think is morally uh, questionable. Okay. And I think that there was a lot of like, it's the kind of easiest thing that gets put on Netflix. Like, this is, like Netflix is choked with uh, true crime documentaries. They always have the same structure and the same way of doing interviews. And he gives you all that. And he gives you like a, basically it's a true crime thing. You've got a dead body at the beginning and then you get the explanation, you know? It's like a, like a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. It's like the simplest story to write. It's the easiest thing to write of all the different types of stories, a detective story. And he gives you that. And yet he has so much human empathy with the main character he has so much respect for this this guy this timothy treadwell and he has so much respect for what timothy treadwell was trying to do in this wilderness that i think it's like i think it's a really beautiful and humane film and i just think that he almost like he he kind of he he gives you a true crime film and then says but what timothy treadwell is doing is meaningful and it was had value, and um, I even though Timothy Treadwell was a bit of a fool. Let's face it; it's a very simple story, and I think if any other filmmaker had made it, it wouldn't have had so much. It would it wouldn't have offered so much human empathy, mm. <laughs> because I think I think that Werner Herzog really identifies with him. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? Was it particularly memorable for you? 
No, it was just one of the all because I went through all of Werner Herzog's documents. I got them all from the library and went through them one by one. And like I said, I could have picked any of Werner Herzog's documentaries in many ways because I, I I like, but this is probably the one that um, I think people will like the most. Well, I think like you said earlier, it's the most accessible. Yeah. Would you say it's had an influence on your life at all? Yeah. The thing is, I kind of hate camping. This is the other thing that my film is a little bit about is is me trying to come to terms with the fact that I'm not a survivalist, you know, <laughs> and I couldn't survive without. Like, I, I am someone who who kind of likes having the internet and 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 cafes around me and and you know Wi-Fi. I am not like um, someone who would survive for very long in the wilderness, like Timothy Treadwell. Or like Werner Herzog, he's also like a survivalist kind of person. And I would not be, I am not, I don't really like being outside in the dark, <laughs> in the countryside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and I suppose the influence that the film has had on me is, I mean, I did drive all the way across America. That was as wilderness as it got. But it's given you some impetus to, then, at least. It gave me a sort of impetus to explore. I mean, I would love to go to Alaska. That's one place I haven't gone. And, uh, and it is does look amazing because it's just so huge and it's all uh, like in the film it's like a federal reserve so you can't you know I can't say I mean it's not like I now have an urge to go and touch a bear <laughs> I would hope not <laughs> um, well it's same for me really I wouldn't say it's had a specific influence on my life but I I recall it being a sort of jumping off point for my documentary education let's say because I think well, it definitely encouraged me to watch more. And it was part of the zeitgeist of the time when there was those early 2000s. There was, there was loads of uh, like the Michael Moore documentaries, Inconvenient Truth, Man on Wire. It was almost like a golden age for mainstream documentaries, I think. Yeah. And I think it just sort of fell into that. Is that when you saw me. it? Is that when you saw it first? In 2000 and when it came out? It came out in 2005, didn't it? Yeah, 2005. I would have seen it probably... 2007 I imagine okay something like that yeah I only saw it like three years ago and I watched it twice in the last two weeks just for this <laughs> well I appreciate that you've uh, put the effort in yeah. uh, what's your favorite scene right so this is what I think this is the reason why I think this is a, it's better than most documentaries and it's a really simple trick that he does but did you notice that when he interviews the experts in the film mm -hmm. He makes them talk directly into the camera, and he gets them to. There's there's a scene at the beginning where Will Fulton, the um, the helicopter, the, the guy in the plane, who's his friend who discovered the bodies, he um, he kind of reenacts finding the bodies, and he speaks to the camera. By the way, any other any Netflix stuff. This is another thing. Netflix true crime documentaries always have like a, this lame um, reenactment scene. Where they kind of get get actors to replay stuff, and or then do spooky, you know, camera floating through a spooky room, empty room, or something, and then uh, some kind of description. What Werner Herzog often does is he gets the main character, gets the protagonist, who's the real person, to then reenact what happened to them in that thing. There's a brilliant doc. Have you seen um, Little Dieter Learns to Fly? I was just going to mention that bit when he yeah. talk, when he gets the guy to talk about him falling out of the yeah balloon. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's a different one. Yeah, there's the, that's um, you're talking about White Diamond, but I'm talking about that Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Ah, okay, the, I'm confusing um, them. Which one is it? He's the uh, the German Vietnam War veteran who who was captured by the Viet Cong and escaped, and he gets he gets he's called Dieter Dengler. And he goes into the jungle and reenacts being captured and and both the thing. Anyway, um, in this, he gets Will Fulton, the the guy, to reenact uh, finding finding the bodies and where they were. And then he says he talks about seeing this bear that he thinks must have killed him. And then he gets these experts to talk later in the film. And the, the best expert, and this is my favorite scene, is um, the coroner. He describes um performing the the autopsy on these like remains of these two bodies like they were just like a 
bits and pieces and then they got this it's quite gory they got to like cut open the bear and get the rest of the the people out of the bear's stomach and um and he describes talking the the doing um, what it was like doing these autopsies and it's extraordinary it's like really an extraordinary scene i think because the coroner is like speaking directly to the camera and then he doesn't just describe like dissecting the bodies or he doesn't describe like exactly what what it was like dissecting bodies he kind of imagines what it was like to be these people and how he got like he must have he couldn't have had that much time with that guy but how he got him to give this performance it's it's almost like directing an actor and i think that Werner Herzog often says that he doesn't really see a big difference between his documentaries and his feature films which is kind of wrong because they're obviously documentaries but i can see what he means because he is like directing these scenes and he really directed that guy and he gets him to talk directly into the camera which makes him so much more powerful and it also makes him this and you get so much of the coroner's own character out of it because he's like he's imagining what it's like to be eaten by a bear yeah. <laughs> and it's quite horrifying and then he kind of pays tribute to timothy trebowell and to um amy the the girlfriend who was also killed on the same day and he kind of pays tribute to how brave she was and and it's like and it's really like um it's really clever and also really he's almost like a kind of like a david lynch character like someone's kind of he's like there's something a little bit wild about his and eccentric about this guy in this autopsy room and he's standing in the autopsy room as well and describing this thing i really like that scene in the case of timothy and amy what i had were body parts just the visual input of seeing a detached human being before my eyes makes my heart race, makes the hair stand up on the back of my head, particularly in combination with the contents of a tape, an audio tape, that is the sound portion of a videotape. And then, right after that scene, comes the, um, the kind of, the, the, probably the, what people remember from the film is Ben Herzog listening to the tape. We haven't talked about the tape yet. Mm. This is the other reason why it's different from a normal true crime documentary. So there is a tape of these two people being killed by this bear because Timothy Treadwell was a filmmaker himself and he filmed all the time and he left the camera on, right? And, but he, but it was, there was not enough time to take off the, the lens cap of the camera. So there's this, apparently there's this six minute audio file of them being attacked and killed by this bear. And this place, this is like hanging over the film. And and Werner Herzog talks about how he was, he he had to like deal with this this bit of footage in some way. And he refused. He he was apparently the um, the, the 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 producers and the the people who commissioned the film were like, we should we should play a bit of this tape. And he like flatly refuses. He said like, I'm not. There's no way this audio is going to appear in this film. And he said like, it is just a line that I will not cross. And he and he says like that is like a a moment that you can't you know you can't broadcast. It's like a moment where the moment of someone's death is something you can't broadcast. And so, but what he does is, and it's they suggested they film him um, listening to it on headphones, and he suggested that he instead of doing that he would film himself listening to it on headphones um, while that friend is watching Jewel the woman who used to know Timothy Treadwell, and you can see her kind of, and it's kind of quite, it's quite a powerful film because you can see sort of the side of Werner Herzog's face. You see the back of his head and the side of his face, and you see her face full on, and you can see her kind of reading in his face what it's, what he's going through, through these, like, these, um, what while he's listening to these two people being killed. And it's like quite a, I mean... Yeah, no other film would have done that, I think. Not not like that. It's an interesting point that you raise, though, that he talks about this blurring the lines between fiction and reality, because I think, particularly in those two scenes that you just mentioned, actually, that it, he does that. It's almost like an imagined reality. So the, or the coroner, like you said, it's a big performance. And then there was... There's a film theorist, uh, Christian... Mets, I think, 
Christian Metz, I want to say, he he wrote about this presence in absence. So the only way that you are made more aware of something is by the lack of it. So for example, with the with the audio, you're made more aware of the horror of it because you can't hear it. And I think probably Herzog played into that a little bit. I reckon. Oh yeah, and and and, and I mean the, and and also you are aware of it because of you're seeing her face, watching him listening to it. So you're, he, it's like the horror is like reflected in her imagination. Yeah. So it's like one imagination removed. So it's not only your imagination, but it's her imagining what he's listening to. Yeah. They're also my favorite scenes, but one that I did want to mention was the, the one with the helicopter pilot who's a comical-looking guy anyway. He's got a huge moustache and his big uh, aviator sunglasses. Yeah. But his turn of phrase is fantastic when he's talking about him. Um, yeah, we took four garbage bags of people out of there. And then uh, and then he's, he trashes Treadwell. He's like, oh, yeah, he got what he deserved. The only bad thing is that the, the girl had to die. And then the cherry on the cake, he goes... I'm sure the Bears just thought he was retarded. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that is the big thing. That, that is the... That's why also the thing I really love about the film is that he kind of... He walks this sort of line the whole time between kind of, like, respecting and um, talking about, like, how great all the things is that Timothy Treadwell did and he respects him as a filmmaker and he says, like, I can... Like, he, he has... He had, like, he cut footage that you know, a Hollywood studio director would never be able to get. And he and he has this, and he really respects the, his education and that he really inspired children. That's a big thing for him. And that he, you know, like there's all, and and this sort of, and, and, he, and he has like so much respect for him as his, and his mission of going out and, and trying to, you know, protect these bears. And at the, at the same time, um, you're always like, you're always aware, specifically from the beginning of the film, that, he was a bit of an idiot because he put himself in danger and he went much too close to these bears. Do you think Herzog's portrait of Treadwell is fair? I mean, it's hard to say whether, because I don't know what he was like in real life, whether it is fair or not, but I do think that he... Um, I th yeah, I think that the people... I mean, we can only go by what the people who took part in the film thought and i guess the um the um the girlfriend jewel and the other friends who were took part in the film if they were if they considered the film to be fair then i think it must have been fair i think that it was i mean what's really good about Hatsog is he, he never he never like throws himself he always like maintains his own sense of self in the film and he's like quite a big presence i think even though he's not in it you don't hardly see him but he's like quite a big presence and he kind of and he's and he kind of um distances himself from treadwell's worldview and all this other stuff and and i think that he maintains a kind of critical distance the whole time which you you can which only serves to um respect may, may show the respect even more i think yeah, well, otherwise it would be a disservice to the to the film and to the person, really, if you didn't mention the yeah. the downsides of a character, you know, like the addiction and and that kind of stuff. Because okay, maybe it doesn't sh shine such a flattering light on it, but it almost gives you somewhat of an explanation as to why he's acting like he is. You know, was he swapping one addiction for another? The way that people react to him is that why he's trying to find solace in nature this kind of yeah. stuff and it you know it makes for a better rounded film yeah yeah do you tend to err more on the side of treadwell's view of nature or the more pessimistic notion put forward by herzog right okay i knew this question was coming <laughs> this is kind of a, a big question there's a bit where 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 Werner herzog in voiceover says this is where i differ from timothy treadwell because I do not see harmony in nature, and I not I do not see these animals as being, you know, like um, all friends with each other. I see 
like this, um, I see nature as being implacable and indifferent. He uses this word indifferent quite a lot. And there's this kind of chaos and murder all around us. And there is no solace in nature. I see no solace in nature. Um, and that very much ties in with everything else from all of other like Werner Herzog films. Like that kind of comes up quite often. This, and I mean, there's a famous clip from um, the documentary Burden of Dreams, which, which, which was about the making of Fitzcarraldo, where he contrasts his own worldview with Kinski's worldview of the jungle. And he gave, it's like a really funny little clip if you watch it on, it's like a little one minute clip where he says, uh, Kinski sees the jungle as erotic, but I see this jungle as this, this as nothing but murder and pain. And he says, the trees are in agony and the birds are in agony. And they do, the birds do not sing, they screech in pain, you know? Like he's like, he's really like a bit, and you go, okay. <laughs> and you know, it's like, it's the most Herzog of Herzog. Um, thing and it's like that that clip has probably done more to um uh, create the persona that we know as this public persona as this kind of implacable german um uh, 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 nihilist or whatever you know some kind of hot, like that, that clip has kind of burnished that view, worldview and it definitely comes up in grizzly man and i think that it's it's something that and you have this i i even wrote it down it comes up at the end with the um with the bear so right at the end of the film, he kind of he shows the last bit of footage that Timothy Dreadwell took, mm. and he kind of zooms in on this bear's face. And what is, and yeah, I wrote it down because I wanted to. In, he says, "In all the faces of all the bears that Treadwell ever filmed, I discover no kinship, no understanding, no mercy. I see only the overwhelming indifference of nature. To me." There is no such thing as a secret world of the bears. And this blank stare speaks only of a half-bored interest in food. But for Timothy Treadwell, this bear was a friend, a saviour. And I think that... Um, are you asking me personally if I agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, I, mean, I do are, more are agree more with it than pessimistic than optimistic? I, I don't know if that is pessimistic, though. Is that pessimistic to think that? Uh, I, no, it's not pessimistic. It's more realistic, I would say. But I think probably the biggest thing that played on my mind was that you're almost... Well, Treadwell is a perfect example of it, but you're more susceptible to finding goodness in things if you're specifically looking for it rather than it just happening. So, you know, if he's been shunned by a the human society he's gone searching for love or belonging in nature and he's found it whether it's there or not right and he also pretended to be a bear we don't actually see that in the footage but apparently he, he wanted to try and be a bear oh, okay. and he acted like a bear and it is very clear in the footage with the bears that they are like totally indifferent I have to say but like they don't, they don't pay him any attention. They just like they just like look at him briefly and then wander off main, mm. mainly. Um, unlike the foxes, the foxes are very curious. They uh, they come up to him and there's like a long, there's like a really cute like fox cub that sits on his tent and and there. I think there are like some animals are friendly, <laughs> but obviously nature. Not is, ones that you're food for though. Yeah, and and then he kind of like the. the and there's also that bit where he um, shows Timothy Treadwell kind of coming up to facing the harsh reality of nature where he sees that like these bare mums had to eat their own children to survive. You know, mm. like that's what they did, you know, or they or um, other adult male bears would kill and eat cubs so that they could fornicate with the with the lady bear. Uh, that's yeah, like, right, that comes right. up in the film a lot. They're like these these animals that like, yeah. There's a, there's a horror. There's a horror to it. How did you interpret the aggressive side of Treadwell when he lashes out against the park officials and game hunters and people in general? I saw that as being a central part of um, the the character that had to be shown. I think that 
you know, we, we've, we've already seen a lot of Treadwell being friendly and nice about uh, to the animals. And then he kind of, he this sort of performance comes out of him, this sort of anger and rage comes out of him. And I think, and also that's another bit where like uh, uh, Herzog turns down the audio, right? And does a voiceover over it and says, at this point, he starts mentioning individuals, and this is a line we don't want to cross. It's like another line he doesn't want to cross. Is is like um, repeating his sort of slander. I guess it would have been also slightly libelous, whatever he said. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but he obviously insulted some individual park rangers that he hated. Um, I don't know. I think that um, here's why. Here's what I actually think about Herzog and Treadwell. I think that secretly he really there's like he's obviously very fascinated by these kind of characters and he's and like people like Aguirre these these and Fitzcarraldo as well these kind of mad people it's that manic intensity in it that you're yeah. drawn to yeah and he's kind of obviously a bit fascinated by them and sort of secretly maybe also wishes he was that, that there's some part of him that is like that but he himself I think Hatzog himself is actually quite a disciplined person who does not put himself in danger like he does not, he does not go that far, and he always like he and and he always like he's he's very he's obviously just like he's he sees himself as just making a film. He's not gonna go out and and sleep outside with a load of bears around him, you know. And um, I think that he's like fascinated by those people, but also very aware that he's not one of those people. Mm. I think he also has respect for. The people that ask questions of him um, and other people as well, and, and I, that's kind of what I saw from Treadwell kicking off is that he, in his mind, thinks that he's doing good, and in some respects he is. But then if you if you've got people telling you, like park rangers or like the guy in the museum, for example, when he says what he was actually doing could have been detrimental for the bears. Yeah, habitualizing them to humans and stuff. If you know, if you're so convinced that you're doing something good, and then all you have is people telling you that you're doing it wrong, it's gonna, it's gonna elicit these sorts of conflicted emotions within yourself as well. Oh yeah, I think there's no doubt that uh, what Timothy Treadwell did was wrong. I think that he shouldn't have. He he was um, that that is like a rule in all parks in. Americas, you're not supposed to go within 300 feet of any wild animal because they don't want them. They were supposed to be wild animals and they're not supposed to be acclimatized to human beings. And not only that, and then there's a bit with the, the he goes to the Native American Museum as well. And the Native American says that he, this, what Timothy did was like cross this line and he, that the, we have respected for thousands of years and we, like, we do not. Like no Native American goes up to a bear, you know, because like, this is just wrong. It is like a, it's a violation of the bear's space. And um, you said like somewhere, Herzog said you 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 don't love the bear, you respect the bear. And Treadwell loved the bears. He always he's always gone on about how much he loves. Yeah. And uh, I think that yeah, there's no doubt that that is like wrong. And I think that the film makes that really clear. But at the same time. It's he. There's a sign of respect that he has for the for this need to kind of get out and and to touch something primordial that we all have. You know, there's, that, there's this need a danger in it. Yeah, yeah. We need to. Yeah, we need to feel like this sort of fear, or we need to sort of touch something that is ancient. I think we do. I think that's a really human thing, and um, and he was like obviously Treadwell is like a really troubled guy. And had went through a lot of stuff, and he. Who are we to to um, judge him for finding peace out there? Because he obviously did love it out there. Yeah. And who? And even if he's wrong, like this is what I really like about the film as well is that even though what Treadwell did was wrong, it doesn't mean that it can't be respected. <laughs> you know. And there's a there's a and, not sure who could use the argument for everything. Yeah, obviously you can't use it for everything. <laughs> but, <laughs> a, but that is that kind of an important thing about the film. I think that he sort of said, 
um, it doesn't matter whether you agree with Treadwell or not. You know, it's, he still he he found peace in the countryside, and it was a res- it was some kind of way of, for him to deal with his own um, life. Does knowing the end of the story change the way that you experience the film? Do you think? Um, what do you mean by the end of the story? Well, in terms of knowing that he's going to die, or knowing that he's dead already, do you think it changes the way that you that you watch the film? So, like you mentioned, the the true crime stuff. If you didn't know that he was dead before the end of the film, would that change the way that you oh, that you yeah. thought about it? Well, yeah, because you find out quite early on in the film. You find out. I actually timed it because I knew this question oh, wow. was coming as well. <laughs> and you find out after eight minutes that he's dead. So you find out right at the beginning of the film. And he was also quite a famous person. He was on Letterman. Did you know he was on Letterman? Yeah. And he was on like there's a clip of him on Letterman on YouTube. Well, they joked, didn't they, that he was going to get eaten? By yeah, bears and they on make Letterman. a joke. And, and um, anyway, but um, I think if you didn't know that and you didn't know who Timothy Treadwell was. I think you definitely well, you definitely watch it a different way. Well, for for a start, you would be wondering, did he help to make this film? You know, you'd be wondering. I suppose I'd be wondering the whole time, um, like what, how, how much input did he have in the film? And you'd be asking yourself, where is he now? Like, why are there no interviews with him the whole time? Yeah, I think that would be the main thing. What I liked is that it desensationalizes the film because if you were if they did leave it to the end to say that he's you know been eaten by a bear it's kind of this you're building up to a crescendo of all these emotions that you've come along with this guy the whole way through the film and then suddenly he's dead and it sort of plays on you on the emotional part of you rather than what i think it actually does is it gives you the space to Think about the the deeper questions that Herzog's asking that are not shrouded in emotion, like yeah, you know, ask, yeah. There's, ask no, questions there, there's no false tension. There's yeah, no, there's exactly. no false. There's no like, yeah. It'd be like, what, is he gonna? Is he alive? Is he yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, he, he gives you that at the beginning. Th- there is that obviously with the. I think every time you see a bear, there's this ominous dread of, oh, is it? Is it this one? Did that one eat him? <laughs> he does. Even with all that, he does give you a bit of a twist at the end, doesn't he? Like this is quite interesting. Is that the beginning of the film is very much about the details of the finding the body, and we know that he's been eaten, and then you think, oh, well, that's it, and then we get this whole high life story, and we get all like the philosophy bits, and we get the uh, a lot of the of his own footage, like a really interesting. There's some really interesting bits where Werner Herzog is like critiquing his filmmaking, and he's saying like, oh, this is like. He didn't notice this shot here was really beautiful, and he didn't. And he had like, oh, he had a, he showed a real instincts for this footage. Like, there's always that stuff, and you get all that, and then right at the end, you go back to the crime scene. You get go back to the, the the killing, and you find out the sort of the context of the of why he was killed, why he was specifically killed at that time, and about how he met a new bear, and he wasn't even supposed to be there. He's supposed to use he like he his his ticket was cancelled. And he was supposed to be flying back to California that day. And then he went back to the camp. And then he was in, it was too late in the year. And there were unfamiliar bears. And there were hungry bears because because they hadn't started hibernating yet. They were obviously still hungry. And there was it was a new bear that didn't know him. And that's what killed him. So so you get you kind of you get brought back to that. So he does kind of give you a little plot twist at the end. Is there any character in particular that you relate to or something in the film that particularly resonates with you in your life? Uh, personally, it's a quite a personal question. <laughs> I, uh, well, you find out so much about him, it's quite hard not to relate to Timothy Treadwell in it, isn't it? I mean, I think that you kind of, you, you, you find out so much about his troubles and about things he went through and his... Uh, and his worries with women, and he found out so many details of his life that, I mean, a lot of people would find something to relate to, I think. I suppose I could say I relate to Timothy Treadwell because I have also tried to make a film, and he was trying, he was obviously planning a big film, 
that he was wanted to do. And I think that Werner Herzog gave him a kind of the film that he 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 could have made. So it was like a it was also it was a film for Timothy Treadwell. Very nice. Just to finish it up then. Yeah. I have a, a couple of silly ones to end on. So do you have a favorite fact or piece of trivia about the film? Yes. Hit Even me. though it's, I don't know if this counts because it's actually in the film. I don't know if it's trivia is something that's allowed to be something that's actually mentioned in the film. But the fact that Timothy Treadwell was almost Woody in Cheers, the barman, which comes up, which his dad says during the interview with his parents. I forgot about that. I think that's like, that just, that's just such a marvelous detail that it opens up a whole new world. I mean, like, he could have been Woody Harrelson. I mean, he apparently he went for the audition to be Woody out of, of In Cheers and came second. And, it, and apparently that was one that really tipped him over the edge and tipped him into drinking and destroyed. Like, he really wanted to be an actor. I mean, we don't really find out very much about that, but it's a fascinating detail. And the, the whole thing about connecting him to like this this sort of Hollywood star, what might have been, it's like, it's kind of like leads you off into a whole other direction. I wonder, I always, I did actually um, Google to see if Woody Harrelson had ever said anything about this, but I, he hasn't, I, don't, uh, I couldn't find anything. But <laughs> I also found it difficult to, to, to find any specific trivia or facts, but one, one of the ones that I saw was, did you see on the one show when Commode was interviewing Herzog? And he, yeah. get, and he gets shot in California. Yeah, that was, that was that was when he was promoting this film. That was when he was promoting this yeah, film. Yeah, I read about that. And he also he said, <laughs> this is a good Werner Herzog story, actually. He got shot while he was being interviewed by Mark, uh, Mark Commode. Yeah. And he the, he goes in the, in, in this interview book, the um, it's called A Guide for the Perplexed. It's this big interview book. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of his life story. And he mentions this incident, and he said that he says the he says the he says something like the chicken shit BBC crew wanted to call the police, and I was like, oh god, these people, they are so rubbish. Like he has this sort of absolute contempt for the BBC <laughs> yeah. crew who can't even he can't, he can't my god, I just got shot. Let's just deal with it. And because he, he says like because he lives out in in that area. And he said that if we get if we call the police now, the police will come and they'll want to they will have to fill in reports. And um, he was actually shot by it was, a, it was a small bullet. It was like an air rifle. It was a small, yeah, but it was yeah. a real bullet. They it get it went later his, in the interview. Yeah. He gets it out, and he's, he's like, <laughs> "Kamo's just like, oh, what the what the hell? He's just been shot." And he's like, oh, "It's this insignificant." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's extremely like yeah, he he he's he hates that kind of health and safety bollocks. So this just, sorry, this I literally just happened when we were standing outside on there. Camera. <laughs> And there was a noise, and it was a whiz. And you just said, "I've been shot." You had, look, you're yeah, bleeding. Yeah. I think here yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Look, you, I mean, that's a, that's a somebody sh shot at you and created a wound in your abdomen. It's not not significant. Last up, as is flicks and scoops tradition, we rate the film out of five. Okay. And you might be familiar with the star system and how films are rated. Uh, mostly, yeah, mostly. Yeah, don't well, deviate I'd like you to ball that up and throw it out of the window. Because okay. on Flicks and Scoops, we rate it out of five scoops. Right. So Ben Knight is going to give Grizzly Man... Uh, 4.5 scoops. I'm afraid... I can't do points. Can't do points, unfortunately. Why, why not? You can't cut a scoop do in what half. Herzog would do and commit to a full, <laughs> to a full scoop. Okay, uh, four then. Four. Because no film is perfect. Ooh, controversial. I and would also say it's four, but I do have five scoop films. Thanks ever so much for coming. It's been a been a pleasure. Yeah, I this has been great. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. Barely, even we barely. can uh, we can get together and have another existential crisis over <laughs> over a different Herzog film. Um, just before we go, then where can people find out about your film? Oh, I've got a website. Hit us, hit us with it. We're all going to die. Film .com. Uh, and are you followable on social media? Yes, I am on Twitter, Ben Werner Knight. You can find me just generally on the internet. Out and about, wandering <laughs> Berlin. Wandering the streets. <laughs> I walked here today because um, Werner Herzog walks everywhere. 
He's he's a big on he's big on walking to places. Didn't he walk over the Alps at some point? He walked from Munich to Paris once. Well, uh, now you've got to walk around the corner. So off your fuck. See you later. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Thanks. What a delight, eh? Massive thanks to Ben there. Check out previous episodes of the podcast if you're into films or ice cream or neither, and give us a subscribe while you're there. Flicks and Scoops is on all the socials at Flicks and Scoops, and we're now on Letterboxd as well. If you love your films, then get on there. It's a great network for film enthusiasts where you can make and share lists and recommendations and stuff. This isn't a paid promotion, I just like being nosy at what other people are watching. On next week's episode, we've got Ellie, the co-director of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. Ellie needed to talk about Kevin, and so I gladly obliged, if only for the Ramsonator. Our next week, you're going to love it. Toodles. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.